20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. We are the first 365 day a year Packers podcast, and you can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at cheeseheadtv.com. My name is Andrew Mertig, and I'm joined by my co-host Kyle Fellows. Kyle, how the heck are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm looking forward to uh, this third preseason game of the year. Uh, getting just to sit back and watch it a little bit. It'll be fun uh, to watch the game. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're going to have a preview of tonight's game. But before we get into that, there's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I want to take a minute to share a little bit about our backgrounds. Since we really jumped in, hit the hit the ground running on the podcast, we had roster predictions, we had game reviews. We never got a chance to really share with the audience how we became fans of what I consider to be the greatest franchise in sports history. Sound good? That sounds great. Let's do it. So I grew up in a small town in northern Wisconsin called Butternut. It's funny. Nice. It's, it's okay to laugh. <laughs> it's up by Lake Superior. And when I was a little kid, my earliest Packer memories were of watching Don Mikowski and Keith Woodside. We actually weren't, didn't even have Fox at the time. And so we would try to rotate our, our antenna to pick up Fox when the game started broadcasting on their network. And sometimes we'd get Viking games because our broadcast would be coming out. Duluth, it was a rough life. Being a front runner like every little kid, here's to you Warrior fans, I decided I was going to be a Buffalo Bills fan first and a Packers fan second. And you know that weird-looking jersey, plastic helmet, football pants set that every kid wanted for Christmas in the 90s? I had a Jim Kelly version of that. (laughs) So I still kind of have a soft spot for the Bills because they're the other small market NFL team. But inevitably, when I grew up and matured a little bit and Reggie White and Brett Favre came to town, that really solidified my love for the green and gold. I... Ended up going to college in Green Bay, and actually partially because of the Packers. I met my wife here, and we've moved around the state of Wisconsin a little bit, but I, in the last two years, bought a house that's 2.4 miles from Lambeau. And and that's important because, of course, it matters how close you physically are to Lambeau to determine how good a fan and how good of a, a expert on the team you are, right? It's a direct correlation, exactly. Absolutely. That's what Twitter taught me this week. <laughs> so so what made you a Packers fan, Kyle? So I'm curious, are you going to jump ship and go over to the Buffalo Bills now that they have Josh Allen, the world's greatest arm? I, I do like Josh Allen, and I'm going to the game at the end of September. I will not be torn, I promise. I've been to a <laughs> Packers-Bills game before, but... there there is a little bit of collegiality between the sure. two fan bases. Yeah, Josh Allen is, is, I think he's got the world's strongest arm or something. He's going to be a, a hard person to not be a fan of if he can make it happen in the NFL. But So I am originally from the great state of Michigan, and I grew up about halfway between Chicago and Detroit in a place called Kalamazoo. It's a real place. Uh, so I narrowly escaped being a Lions or a Bears fan, so that's lucky for me. 
Uh, but like Andrew, I was actually a Bills fan first, so we have that in common. Uh, but then I started following the Jaguars when they came into the league. So now keep in mind, I'm like seven years old at this point, so it's pretty serious fandom. But I did have a Mark Brunel jersey, so it was pretty legit. Um, but in 1997, right after the Packers won the Super Bowl against the Patriots, my next door neighbor gave me a cheese head. Uh, he brought it back with him on a trip from Wisconsin that he went on. And so I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And that was it. My loyalty was one, you know. So actually, my first memory watching a game is from the 1998 Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos. And I remember just the absolute devastation I felt when Favre and Freeman failed to connect on that fourth and six at the end of the game. And my dad had to explain to me as a little kid that all John Elway had to do was kneel and the game would be over. I just felt like that was like the most unfair thing in the whole world. And it was awful. They lost that game. But I think it was in that moment that I became a Packers fan. I guess the rest is history from there. That's great. I, I have two two questions slash comments. So Mark Brunel was your favorite Jaguar, and of course he has the Packer connection. Right. But Kalamazoo is the home of Western Michigan, correct? Correct. So then there's the Greg Jennings. Jennings. Yeah. How about that? So funny story. My mom met Greg Jennings in a grocery store one time, and she didn't know who he was. So she was like, he's probably like a nobody so she just like walked by and was like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, are you serious, mom? You met Greg Jennings in the grocery store. So I don't know. Just I wasn't in the right place at the right time, I guess. But yeah. Perhaps this off season when things are a little bit slower, I have a really funny Greg Jennings story from when I was running the Packer draft coverage for a local Green Bay news station. I'll tell you how terrible a draft evaluator I am at that time. <laughs> so... So let's jump into the breakdown of position groups. We're, we're just going to talk a little bit about what groups we're excited to see tonight and what players we think are going to be able to make uh, a move up or down the roster. Sounds good. I'm really excited to watch the running back group tonight. We've seen a little bit of Ty Montgomery and Jamal Williams so far in the preseason, and we might get our first look at Aaron Jones tonight. But we know regardless of how Jones looks, he's not going to be available until like that third week of the season because of that suspension. And so I'm interested to watch this tonight to see if any of these other guys on the running back depth chart can distinguish themselves as a runner. I'm not sure that the Packers are going to feel comfortable having just Williams and Montgomery on the roster for those first two weeks, especially considering that they've both been prone to injuries in the past. So I believe that there's a real chance that one of these other backs could make that 53-man roster, even if it's just for those first two weeks of the season. Now, last week, I was feeling me some Akeem Judd. I even said on our podcast last week that I thought he would make the roster. I know that was a little bit rich, but I thought he's shown enough in the limited carries that he had, he had gotten that he could, he could make himself a spot on this team. But then he decided to up and retire this week. Uh, the Packers placed him on the reserve retired list. So apparently I'm like the kiss of death for running backs. The rest of the group is interesting, though. Mike McCarthy all but said that Devontae Mays is not making this team. He's all but said that. So you feel bad for him, but uh, his injuries really kept him from showing anything at all on the field. Banyo has gotten an incredible amount of snaps during the preseason. I think outside of offensive linemen, he's played the most snaps of anyone on the team. So the thing is, he really hasn't done much with those opportunities, in my opinion. He's looked kind of average and hasn't really created much outside of what's been blocked for him. So I'm curious to see if maybe one of the new additions can make an impact. 
Packers added Bronson Hill and Sean uh, Daniels this week. Bronson Hill doesn't really excite me, excite me at all. He's kind of a veteran journeyman. If you name an NFL franchise, he's probably played for them. Seriously, I think he's played for like nine NFL teams since 2015. But Daniels is intriguing to me. He went undrafted in 2017, but his family is a football family. Football's in his blood. His dad played for the Patriots in the 90s. And his brother is James Daniels, who played center for the Iowa Hawkeyes and was the Bears' second-round pick this spring. So uh, he was kind of overshadowed by Akram Wadley at Iowa. But Daniels is a hard-nosed, thick, between-the-tackles kind of runner. So it'll be interesting to see what he and any of the other running backs might be able to show on the field tonight. So I'm going to talk a little bit about quarterback. And I know in, in some ways this topic has been talked about ad nauseum, but I did want to give my insight into this a little bit and sort of a continuation on the, the article that I wrote for PackersTalk.com this week. I know fans do not want to see Brett Hundley back on the field after a disastrous stretch last year. I see it in the comments. I see it on Twitter. But he has been impressive in the preseason. His lack of quick decision-making skills, I thought, caused most of his struggles in 2017. He looks to have improved on that area. And I know we've seen promise in the preseason before, only to see struggles in the regular season. But I had predicted that Brett Hundley would play well enough this preseason to make him a trade candidate. However, with all the first-team action he's been getting, I think it's more likely that the Packers actually keep him as QB2. I would be really interested to see what a team like maybe Denver, New Orleans, Cincinnati would be willing to give up to have him as their backup. Or maybe if there's an emergency because of an injury to a starter in the next week. However, I really do think Hunley's going to end up as the backup to Aaron Rodgers. Deshaun Kaiser has been wildly inconsistent this offseason, but man, it is easy to see the flashes of potential that made him a high second round pick. When Mike McCarthy said Kaiser would have been a first-round pick if he came out this year, I really think you can see the similarities when you compare him to rookies like Josh Allen, who he previously mentioned, and Baker Mayfield, who show flashes, but they've yet to put it together consistently because he's young and he's going to still make mistakes like that. I think the Packers' investment in Kaiser isn't quite as extreme as it may seem on the surface, But even with that, I have a really difficult time seeing Green Bay cutting a 22-year-old who has all the arm talent in the world. Andy Herman had said on the Packaday podcast a few weeks ago, he thought the Packers would keep all three. And at the time, I thought he was a little nuts, but I am really coming around to that way of thinking. And I know people are in love with Tim Boyle, and they talk about him not getting to the practice squad. But many teams have their own developmental quarterback prospects they're working on. I like to watch Hard Knocks, and last week, Hugh Jackson and offensive coordinator Todd Haley, they were raving about their undrafted rookie, Brogan Roback, who, by the (laughs) way, has a phenomenal name, and how they absolutely had to get him reps in their preseason game. And then I'm also reminded, you know, Joe Callahan got signed by the Saints and Browns after the Packers let him go and then ended up coming back to Green Bay. It is a huge commitment for another team to sign a quarterback like Tim Boyle to their active roster, knowing he's not going to contribute at all this season. I would love to have Boyle on the practice squad, but there's not even a guarantee he would want to be here because he's going to get super limited snaps in practice because Kaiser's going to take those those uh, scout team snaps. 
and there's no path for playing time in the future. So I'm not sure that Tim Boyle is a realistic stay in in either case. And he's a great camp story, but I hope the best for him. I, I just really see a big week, a lot of snaps for Hunley, a lot of snaps for Kaiser. So Brogan Roback sounds like something from like Guardians of the Galaxy to me. Yeah, or or somebody in a frat house. I mean, it's about the same thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, much. that's got to be one of the greatest names, and like one that you're just like that can't be like a real starting quarterback in the NFL just because like of the name, like just on the surface level. So you know, it's easy to scout when you have a name like that. Absolutely. So I'm a boring old man, and I'm excited to watch some interior offensive line tonight. The starters in week one are almost certainly going to be Lane Taylor, Corey Lindsley, and Justin McCray. Uh, but the depth, depth behind them is still a really interesting competition. I think Byron Bell probably makes this team because of his versatility. He can play right tackle in an absolute emergency absolute emergency you don't really want him to do that but he might be the best backup guard that the Packers have right now and I hate to say it because I think he played really well at times last week but I don't really see a path to the roster for Adam Pankey after I got thinking about it this week but maybe he'll prove me wrong tonight and really show up but I think that there's just really one offensive line spot that's up for grabs and I think it's going to come down to center Dylan Day and guard Lucas Patrick Mike McCarthy has talked about using this third preseason game as an opportunity to really evaluate versatility. So I fully expect to see Day and Patrick both play at center and at guard. I think Day has definitely shown that he is the better center at this point, and it might give him the leg up on Patrick to make the roster for that reason. But I looked into it a little bit, and Lucas Patrick is not practice squad eligible. So if you cut him, you lose him, where Dylan Day is practice squad eligible. So I expect the Packers to give... Patrick the chance to prove that he can be a serviceable backup at center and at guard and kind of be that utility guy if he were needed in that role going forward. But we'll have to wait and see how this game plays out. I, I think that'll be really interesting to see if you know Brian Gutekunst is, is convinced that he can go young there and keep both Day and Patrick and let Byron Bell go, or if he feels that the veteran presence of, of Bell would be more important than, than uh, having two guys with maybe a little bit more potential. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see, especially because Bell got that pretty decent-sized contract that looked like they planned on keeping him when he came into came into camp. So we'll see how that shakes out. Sure. So I wanted to talk a little bit about edge, and I know that's a position that's been getting a lot of publicity because of Reggie Gilbert's impressive performance last week. However, this week, I, I don't think, you know, obviously we're not going to see Nick Perry playing after he was just activated. I don't think we're going to see a lot of Clay Matthews, despite it being the, the third preseason game. That's That leads me to believe that Reggie Gilbert, Vince Beagle, Kyler Fackrell will probably get most of the first half snaps. However, I would totally disagree with that plan, even though I expect it. Yeah, I would like to see Gilbert get a drive or two, and then the Packers put him in bubble wrap until week one. I, I think he's that much of an impact player. On Monday, Justice talked about the impact Gilbert has made with his leverage, and if you haven't listened to Monday's podcast go back and listen to it after you're done with this one. Gilbert has shown a lot and, and I have absolutely no questions about his ability. And I just want to make sure that he's healthy for the start of the season and hopefully starting opposite Khalil Mack. So what I'm really watching for tonight is to see how early Kendall Donerson can get on the field. I'd love to see him get some snaps against first string starters to see if you, he can use his freak athleticism to get to the quarterback. Now, if you've listened at all to Kyle and myself, 
you know I have some draft crushes. Robert Tanyan is a major draft crush, but I will I will fully admit I really first heard about Tanyan and started looking at his tape after I saw Andy Herman tweeting about him. By the way, that's the third Andy reference that I've made today, so I think I win some sort of bonus. You're such a suck-up. Yeah, that's true, too. (laughs) But Donerson has been my guy all along. Ever since they drafted him, I have absolutely been in love with him, and you know I am all in. I made my epic hot take of the offseason a few weeks ago that I thought he was a lock for the roster, and I have seen absolutely nothing to deter me from that take. What I'm looking for from the other guys, I would like Beagle to show a conversion to power and show some ability to get some push in the pass game. I want to see more from him. He has a ton to prove at this point. I know I bury Kyler Fackrell absolutely every week, every chance I get. But, man, he is tough to watch when he rushes the passer. If the Packers are going to waste playing time on him, I'd at least like to see them try to play him at inside linebacker. Maybe he can he can do better in pass coverage. And my strategy would be to give Fackrell and Donerson every single special team snap and see who grades out better there because I think they're directly competing for a spot. Chris Odom, for me, has just been a guy, and I'd love to see something more, but I just don't think he provides that ability at all. So I want to just point out really quickly that you found a way in a section about edge rushers to talk about Robert Tanyan. So just for accountability purposes, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. I know you like Ta- Tanyan, but let's just remember, we're not talking about tight ends right now. This is, for, this is getting out of hand. For those of you playing bingo at home, we've got Tanyan, Donerson, and Tim Boyle so far. We have yet to hear about the great Kumaro. That's true. So keep your uh, bingo sheets ready. We might throw that one in for you by the end of the episode. So I've got one more I want to talk about that I'm excited to watch tonight. Jair Alexander. So we're not going to talk about a whole position group, just Jair Alexander, because he's awesome. All signs point to Alexander starting in the slot to start the season. And so he's obviously earned the trust of the coaches and they've used him in that slot in practice. But uh, we've only really seen him play about 10 snaps this preseason. And that has everything to do with him easing back from that groin injury. But I expect that we will see a lot of him tonight to kind of get him prepped for the season. Ron Zook has said that he wants to give Alexander some opportunities as a return man on punts tonight. So we'll probably see him there. And there's only so much you can say from those 10 snaps. But Ben Fennell, who was on the podcast earlier this week, noted on Twitter that there's just something special about the way that Jair Alexander moves. He really, he's really patient in his press and he doesn't open up the gate until the last second. And then he's really able to flip those hips and then he's in the hip pocket of the receiver all the way through the route. Sometimes you can tell when a corner is just panicking because they're beat. We saw this a lot from Demarius Randall. His athleticism allowed him to recover sometimes, but he seemed to always be recovering from a misstep or an over-aggressive movement. So even in limited reps, Jair Alexander has just shown some really smooth movements. He just shows that he moves easy. He looks like he's always in phase, running easily with the receiver, which is exactly what we saw on his tape at Louisville. So I love Jair coming out in the draft this year, but I had kind of written him off because I 
thought that the Packers wouldn't touch a sub 5'11 corner in the first round. So when they did and when they pulled the trigger on him, I was pretty ecstatic about it. So I'm excited to see him out there on the field again tonight and I'll get a little bit more of a feel for our first round pick. Definitely. We're going to move on now to uh, some potential moves that the Packers can make. Obviously, Twitter is blowing up right now about the possibility of the Packers trading for Khalil Mack. And of course, there are tons of opinions about whether or not the Packers should sign Eric Reed, and we're not going to get into those right now, but they should. But we want to talk about a few other guys who are out there that could interest the Packers in the coming days. So, Andrew, will you lead us talking about one of your guys? Yeah, absolutely. So I covered the edge position, and yeah, Reggie Gilbert has looked nice, but we've seen you know, Nick Perry and Clay Matthews nicked up in the past and their health is always kind of at the forefront of concerns about the defense. Now, if, if Khalil Mack turns out to be too rich for, for Brian Gutekunst, if the Packers are looking for an alternative, they could explore a potential trade for Dante Fowler Jr. from the Jaguars. He is a former third overall pick in the draft and he's largely disappointed after losing his rookie year to injury and he is just finishing up a week-long suspension for fighting with his teammate. So we're not off to a great start so far. <laughs> However, he is still an incredibly explosive athlete who can get to the quarterback. He did have eight sacks last year. And the Jaguars are probably only asking for a mid-round pick, maybe a fourth or a fifth, because he's going to be a free agent and they don't love the way he fits in with their locker room. So he'd be playing this season for his next contract. However, he does, of course, come with those potential locker room problems. So the Packers would have to make a determination if it'd be worth to help improve a pretty bland pass rush. Definitely an interesting option that the Packers could consider. That's not one I had thought, given much thought, kind of been wrapped up in the Mac madness. But I think we both, Andrew and I, acknowledge that running back is a position that the Packers could they could use some improvement there behind uh, the main guys. So what we want to talk about is a few guys that they could potentially look at adding now or even after cuts. And I wanted to lead with Charkandrick West. On Tuesday, the Kansas City Chiefs cut him. And the Packers do have the three quality running backs in Williams, Montgomery, and Jones. But with Jones starting the season with the suspension and the other two backs having those injury histories, it wouldn't shock me if the Packers were interested in a player like West. For being realistic, West is not someone you want to be your starter, but he is more than capable of being a backup at the position. In Kansas City, he was really buried on that depth chart under Kareem Hunt and Spencer Ware, and the Chiefs saved 1.7 mil in cap space by cutting him. But it's not like the Chiefs moved on from simply a pure talent standpoint, but he's definitely a solid depth piece the Packers could consider bringing in for a cheap insurance policy at running back. Yeah, I've, I've really liked what I've seen from West in the past in sort of plug-and-play positions where he's had to fill in for, for an injury or um, other other sort of uh, reasons why the starters might be missing in Kansas City, and, and he's looked solid. A couple other guys that I'll just mention as far as veteran running backs that could potentially be available, the Patriots have an absolute glut of running backs, and potentially Jeremy Hill, Brandon Bolden, and Mike Gillisley could be fighting for one roster spot. My guess is Gillisley is gone, and he hasn't been really great in New England since they signed him from Buffalo, but he could be a player who could benefit from a change in scenery. We could also see Terrence West getting cut 
in New Orleans, and, and he has been productive at times in the past. And really, we're looking at a, a fill-in kind of role for, for a running back anyway, so he could be a, a nice fit. You have you have anybody else? Yeah, you mentioned a glut of running backs. Uh, the Bengals have just that. The Cincinnati Bengals running back group is loaded. They have Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard, uh, who are obviously locks to make the team. But then there's a three-way competition for the third running back job. Fifth-round pick, Mark Walton is there. But it sounds like Brian Hill and Trey Carson have been outplaying Walton in the preseason. And so that's five running backs for you math majors out there. So it's hard to imagine Cincinnati keeping all five of these guys. So whoever they cut could be someone that the Packers might target. One name in particular that caught my eye is Brian Hill. Hill set all kinds of records at Wyoming during his season, uh, senior season. And uh, he rushed for 1,800 yards and 22 touchdowns that year. And when he came out in the 2017 NFL draft, his testing scores met all of Ted Thompson's athletic threshold. So if he were to become available after 53-man cuts, he might be a guy that the Green Bay Packers could add and be pretty excited about. Absolutely. I really liked Hill during 20, the 2017 draft process as well. So a lot, a lot of interesting guys that the Packers could potentially be looking at and some other things to think about as we're waiting for the very late Packer game tonight. Absolutely. So watch the game, get on Twitter, tell us what you guys think, and catch us next week. So this has been a Pack-A-Day podcast. You can find Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Mertig, and you can find me at Packer underscore Pundit. Remember to follow Pack-A-Day podcast as well, and remember to subscribe to Pack-A-Day podcast. Tomorrow's episode will be hosted by Jake and Mark, who will be breaking down the game against the Raiders. And of course, there will be a new show every single day. You can catch Andrew and myself every Friday. We'll be back next Friday with a breakdown of the Packers' fourth and final preseason game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember to... Shotgun formation of third and 15 to the 46-yard line of Dallas. They empty the shotgun. Cobb in motion to the left side. Rodgers looks it over, gets the snap. Backpedals now under some pressure. Steps up, throws it over the middle. Good Adams! 30! Turns up field, 25! Cutting right to the 20! 15! 10! 5! Devontae Adams to the south end zone for the touchdown! Rodgers looks it over. Starts to his left. Now he moves Starts to the right side. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield, being flushed. Winds up, rainbows it high and deep into the end zone. It's high. What did it caught? It is caught for a touchdown. One kick away from the NFC Championship game. From the 41. Left pass mark. 51 yard. Field goal attempt. Snap. Placement. Kick to the upright. And it is right down the And what a happy bunch of Green Bay Packers.